0: Let's read this morning from the book of Numbers, chapter 22. And we're going to read from the verse number 2, verse 2 of this chapter as we continue our short series on some of the great appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. Those times exclusively whenever the Lord appeared as a man or as the angel of the Lord in Old Testament times, And all of these Christophanies are full of application for God's people. And the people that he appeared to, whether it was Hagar, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, and today Balaam, their circumstances were entirely different and entirely unique. So there's so much by way of application to our hearts in these days as we think about uh, these Christophanies. But Numbers 22, let's read from verse 2 of the chapter And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people, because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field." And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam the son of Beor to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning... And said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And then we'll go down to verse 22 of the same chapter. In the intervening period, Balaam has prayed again and spoke to Balak, and so on and so forth. And ultimately, he's now going back to Balak. And it says, God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and the ass turned aside out of the way, and went into the field, and Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself onto the wall, and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place, where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast knocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now I would kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And we'll end the reading of God's Word there at verse number 32. Let's pray together and ask God for help as we consider this, if we're honest, difficult portion of God's Word and also a portion of God's Word that has, I suppose, been very often neglected in recent years. Let's pray together. Father, we need Thy help. We ask, O God, now for the infilling and the anointing of Thy Spirit. Speak into all of our hearts and grant, Lord, that we might know of a surety that the Lord is with us. Lord, Thou knowest the need of every life. We ask, O God, that Thou wilt speak and that we might each and every one receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God that is able to save the soul. Glorify and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Savior, for it's in his name and for thine honor that we pray. Amen. One of the most complex Old Testament characters has to be that of Balaam. Balaam is an enigma. Balaam is a conundrum. He's a very difficult man to read, a very difficult man to understand. In many ways, Baal is like Lot in the sense that his heart and inner state and standing before God is concealed in the narratives that we read concerning both men. It is not until later on in Numbers chapter 31 and more explicitly in the New Testament that we see Balaam's true colors. But all the while, whenever we read about Balaam in Numbers 22 through to Numbers chapter 25, while there is so much about Balaam that seems to be commendable, it is very difficult to be comfortable whenever we read about Balaam. There's something about Balaam. In these chapters chapter 22 to 25 of numbers, so much that just doesn't seem to add up. Though Balaam appears to be a man of prayer, a man of principle, a man that stands up for the Word of God, a man that certainly could prophesy and preach. There seems to be an undercurrent in Balaam's life that betrays something of Balaam's heart. And in this day and generation that we are living in, and I suppose it's safe to say in all ages of the Christian church, there have been many individuals like Balaam, People that are gifted, people that are talented, people that are orthodox in their theology, people that seem to be discerning, people that seem to be able to declare something of the Word of God, and people that even pray publicly. But something is just not right. Balaam was such an individual you could look at Lot in the Old Testament and not really understand that Lot was a believer until you read what the New Testament has to say about Lot. And at the other end of the spectrum, you could read about Balaam in the Old Testament, especially in these particular chapters, and not realize that Balaam was an unbeliever until you reach the New Testament. And yet the remarkable thing about Balaam, in chapter 22 of the book of Numbers, Balaam had direct dealings with God. Balaam had direct dealings and encounters with Christ. But it seems that Balaam's heart was never changed and Balaam's heart was never quickened. And I want to speak for a little while about Balaam and how Christ appeared to Balaam as we think again about another Christophany. Just using the same template as we have been using in weeks gone by. So first of all, will you consider for a few moments the context of this Christophany? Verse 22 says, The angel of the Lord stood in the way. But what were the events that led up to the angel of the Lord, or Christ, a pre-incarnate Christ, appearing before Balaam. Earlier on in the chapter, verse number 4 introduces us to Balak, who was king of Moab. Verse number 2 indicates that Balak and the people he represented, the Moabites, were afraid of the children of Israel because they were growing in number. So Balak calls Balaam to prophesy or to preach against the Israelites and to pronounce a divine curse upon them that he might prevail over them. And to try to get Balaam to curse the children of Israel, in verse number 7, he promises him prosperity, and in verse number 17, he promises him promotion. Balaam, I want you to come to the borders of our land. I want you to curse the children of Israel. And I promise to promote you. I promise to elevate you. And I promise to bless you financially if you will only curse the children of Israel. That was Balak's promise. And Balak, I believe, is a type of the God of this world. The devil so often writes checks and makes promises that he is not able to make good. Now, the interesting thing about the name Balaam, Balaam's name is a controversial name, but most people conclude that Balaam's name means not of the people, outsider or foreigner. And he was a very unique prophet in that sense because he was a, he was a Gentile prophet He was not of the household or commonwealth of Israel. He was an outsider, not only in a literal sense and in a national sense, but also in a spiritual sense. He was an outsider to the people of God. And initially, it seems that Balaam is a man of integrity and a man of principle. Because in verse number 9, it says, God came unto Balaam and said, What are these men with me? So Balaam is a man in verse number 9 who hears God's voice. Then you read in verse number 10, Balaam said unto God, and he rehearses everything that Balak has said. So Balaam in verse 9 hears God's voice. Balaam in verse number 10 seeks God's face, and then Balaam in verse number 12 receives the word of the Lord. God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And even in that little text, there's a lesson for each and every one of us. God will never curse, and God will never condemn. His blood-bought covenant people. Sometimes the devil whispers into your ear, even as believers, you're still cursed. You're still condemned. You're forsaken of God. You're out of favor with God. God has cast you off. God will never curse and God will never condemn those people with whom he has made covenant with and redeemed with precious blood. And God says to Balaam, Thou shalt not go with these men. Don't go down to Balak. But then, in the intervening period, in verse number 16, Balak sends another message back to Balaam whenever these men say, Balaam's not coming. And he sends another message, Come again. He sends him a second invitation. Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming. To me. And in spite of what God said in verse number 12, do not go with them, do not go to Balak, do not curse the children of Israel. In verse number 19, Balaam sends a message back to Balak and says, I pray you tarry here also this night that I may know what the Lord will say to me more. And there we see a little snippet of the heart of Balaam. God has said, I don't want you to curse the children of Israel. I don't want you even to go down and speak to Balak. God's word is final. But whenever he receives another invitation from the Moabites, asking for exactly the same thing, he says, well, listen, I will go back to God. I'll pray about it again and see if I can get a different message this time. And so here's a man that seems to receive God's Word, believe God's Word, but wonders, is it possible for God to change His Word, change His ways, and change His will for this particular circumstance? And here it seems that there's a man who receives the Word of God. It maybe isn't exactly what he wants, It's not going to prosper him or promote him in a physical way if he declares the Word of God, so he goes back to God, back to the Word, back to the place of prayer, and now he's looking for loopholes. He's looking for get-out clauses. He's looking for another way to try to please this man, Balak. I wonder how often we are tempted in the Christian church, to do exactly the same. We know what God's Word says on a given matter. But if we hold to the principle of it, and if we declare it, it is not going to result in us prospering or being promoted by the world in this present age. So we go back to God, and we try to strike a bargain with God, and pray about it, even though we know what it says, and ask the Lord, well, Lord, is there a loophole here? Is there a get-out clause here? Can I spin it, or rest it, or twist it in a certain way? And we hold back from obeying God, we begin to flirt with the world, and we use the phrase, I will pray about it as a get-out clause. And the sad reality is, it says in verse number 20, that God said to him, because this was the mindset of Balaam, if the men come to thee, rise up and go with them. But the word that I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And God grants him leave. Now that's not a contradiction in the plan of God. God's word still stands. You're not to curse the children of Israel. But Balaam, if you're insisting on going to Balak, I'm going to grant you leave, but I still want it to be known that you have to declare the whole counsel of God and you cannot twist what the word of God says. And so God let him go. And in that, there's a very valuable lesson for us. Because sometimes we can insist on going down a certain pathway that is not God's perfect will for us, and we tell the Lord, but Lord, I can go down this pathway and use it as an opportunity to honor your word and declare the gospel and declare the truth, and God grants us to go our own way for a temporary period of time. Just like whenever the children of Israel prayed that God would give them a king in Saul, and God said no, but they insisted in getting their way, and the Bible says in Psalm one hundred and six fifteen, God granted their request, but sent leanness into their soul. There are times whenever we can know what God says and what God has says but we insist on going our way anyway under the guise of this is God's will, I've prayed about it. And the result is that a leanness, a dryness, a barrenness begins to creep into our soul. So there's the context of the Christophany. Notice secondly, the characteristics of the Christophany. Balaam goes. Verse 21, Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Verse 22, God's anger was kindled because he went. I'm sure Balaam said, well, I've prayed about this. I'm going. I'm at ease with it all. God has let me go. I'm entirely at peace with this. My conscience." is not pricked. My conscience is not troubled. God is allowing me to do this. God hasn't shut the door completely. And Balaam was at ease with the whole thing, but at the same time, entirely ignorant of the heart of God in the whole matter. The anger of God was kindled against him. The spirit of God has been grieved, but he's ignorant of this fact. He's not only deceiving himself and on the brink of deceiving others, as we'll see later on, but he's grieving the Spirit of God. And it's right then that you have the appearance of the angel. Verse 22, the angel of the Lord stood in the way. Verse 24, the angel of the Lord stood in the paths of the vineyards. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord went further and stood In a narrow place. Now, we're not going to take time this morning to prove again that the angel of the Lord is a pre incarnate Christ, the messenger of the covenant. We have seen that in weeks gone by. But it was a physical manifestation of Christ standing in the way of Balaam, not only once, not only twice. But even as Balaam is insisting in going this direction, a third time the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. And so the Lord's making it very difficult for Balaam to pursue this course of action. He's in a narrow place, and the angel of the Lord stands in the way to say to Balaam, Listen, this is not the right way to go. This is not best for you. It's not even best for the Moabites. It's certainly not best for the kingdom of Israel, and it's not going to bring honor and glory to my name. So the Lord's standing in Balaam's way, seeking to prevent him from pursuing a course of action that will result in bringing trouble to God's covenant people. God is intervening. Christ is intervening in his life to hinder his disobedience. And I wonder, have you ever been conscious of the Lord intervening in your life? You're maybe not a believer this morning. You're not seeing. You're not a Christian. And you know you should be saved. And you know like Balaam what the word of God says. But you're not converted. And God has been putting up one roadblock. Two roadblocks. Three roadblocks right in front of you to cause you to stop. And consider your ways. The appearance of the angel. Things that block your pathway on the road to wreck and ruin. And every time God puts up a roadblock or stands in your way, it might even be a narrow place you try to get by and go on your own way because you're insistent, I want to be prosperous in this world. I want to be promoted in this age. I want to do it my way. It might be the prayers of God's people. It might be a trial in your life. It might be a gospel mission, or a praying friend, or a gospel service, or a church meeting like this. And the Lord in a sense appears and says, don't go this road. This is not the right way. Honor my word. Respect my commandments. Turn your life around. So you've got the appearance of the angel. Notice also whenever we think about the characteristics of the Christophanie the discernment of the donkey, the appearance of the angel and the discernment of the donkey. This dumb animal, this dumb ass, this donkey, it says in verse 23, the angel of the Lord appears, verse 22, verse 23, the ass turned out of the way. And then whenever the angel of the Lord appears in verse 24, the ass thrust herself into the wall. And then verse number 26, when the angel of the Lord appears again the third time, the ass fell down. Every single time the angel of the Lord appears, the donkey responds accordingly. Turns around and says, I can't go any further. The angel of the Lord's blocking the way. Second time, runs straight into a wall to try to disable itself from going further. The third time, the donkey falls down underneath its burden. And friends, these are the responses that Balaam should have made. Balaam should have turned around. Balaam should have fallen down before the Lord. The donkey recognized and submitted to the Lord, but the prophet Balaam did not. God speaketh once, Proverbs says, yea, twice. And yet man perceiveth it not. Has God been speaking to you? Has God been stopping you? Has the Spirit of God been arresting you? Has the Word of God been challenging you? And maybe as a believer or as a backslider or as an unsaved person, you're pursuing on a course of action and the Lord has been trying to intervene. In fact, the intervention in verse 25 is so severe that Balaam's foot was crushed against the wall. But what was Balaam's reaction? In spite of these events happening, the angel of the Lord appearing three times, the donkey turning around, thrusting itself into a wall, falling down, and then the donkey, actually in verse number 28, miraculously begins to speak. The ass opened the mouth, And said to Balaam, what have I done that thou hast smitten me these three times? The supernatural intervention of God did not cause Balaam to turn around. Why? Because in his heart, he had rejected the word of God already. That's why signs and wonders and miracles, this whole charismatic thing that puts the Word of God to one side and substitutes God's Word with phenomenon, I believe is not of God at all. And it doesn't really turn people to righteousness at all. But what did Balaam do? Verse 23, verse 25, verse 27 he smites the ass every single time. He, he takes a big stick and he hits his donkey with it. And then he says in verse number 29, if I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. Why? Because this humble beast of burden has become God's messenger and is not willingly allowing Balaam to pursue this course of action. And rather than get right with God, Balaam would rather kill his own donkey and plunge himself and the Israelites into ruin in order to be prosperous in this world. And that shows me not only the appearance of the angel, the discernment of the donkey, but the blindness of Balaam. Three times the angel of the Lord has stood before him, This dumb ass has spoken to its master, and yet Balaam seems to be hell-bent on going his own way, traveling down this pathway, and he could not interpret providence or the speaking voice of God. And the poor donkey that tried to save him, Balaam smote the donkey, rather kill the messenger That respond to the message of God. God chastened him, crushed his foot, and still he would not turn. Now, it's interesting that in verse number 31, it says, The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. And it says in verse number 34, Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. And I believe he tells the For he says, I knew not that thou stoodest in no the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased me, I will get me back again. And temporarily, momentarily, Balaam appears to repent of his sin and turn around. But it's a bogus repentance. It doesn't last. Because ultimately, he still goes back to Balak. You read at the end of the chapter there, verse number uh, 36. When Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him over against the city of Moab, which is in the border of Arden, which is in the utmost coast. And Balak says in verse number 41 to Balaam, if, it says, it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him to a high place of Baal, that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. Chapter 30, 23, in verse number 13, he takes them to another high place. Come, I pray thee with me unto another place from whence thou mayest see them. And then in verse 27 of chapter 23, he takes them to another high place and says, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. Parrot venture, it will please God that thou mayest curse them from thence. You know what's happening here? Balaam is playing into the hands of Balak. Balak is saying to Balaam, listen, let's go up to a high place and let's see this thing from a different perspective. And he looks down on the children of Israel and then he takes them to another high place and says, now let's look at it from this angle and then he takes them to another high place. Now let's see it from this angle. And he's trying to come to the Word of God and to the people of God and to say to Balaam, look, if you just look at this thing from a different perspective, a different angle, a different viewpoint, it may be that God will allow you to curse the children of Israel for me. And still Balaam is flirting with the Word of God, flirting with the will of God, and thinking somehow, now, the word that God has spoken can be changed. Let's look at it from another place. Let's look at it from another perspective. Let's look at it all from another angle. But still, Balaam does not realize, no matter how much he prays about it, no matter how many different angles he looks at it from, God's word is final. He still cannot change God's word. Now, do you see where we're going with this in this day and generation, this modernistic age that we're living in? It's like the higher critics looking at the Word of God from different perspectives, different contexts, different angles, different viewpoints, different constructs, and asking, Is that really what God said? Maybe we can change it. Maybe that doesn't apply in this day and generation. Maybe God's Word has changed. You know, in my experience, and I say it's a limited experience, I've seen people change their theology. I've seen people change their exegesis. I've seen people change their hermeneutic, their science of interpreting the Scripture, change their church, change their pastor, change even their denomination. All in an effort to salve their conscience so that somebody somewhere will tell them that what God says in His Word doesn't really stand today. And it can be tweaked, it can be changed, and you just have to look at it from a different angle. And so often it is only done so that that individual can prosper and be promoted in this world. It used to be taken for granted That God's people would stay clear of wine and strong drink. But come to a different viewpoint. Let's look at it from this angle. Still don't see it. Well, let's look at it from this angle. I still can't see it. Let's look at it from this angle. Still can't see it. Might be the head covering. It might be ecumenism. It might be the unequal yoke. Well, just look at it from this perspective. Look at it from this angle. Let's take God's Word and spin it this way and look at it from this angle. It might be the Ten Commandments. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Honoring the Lord's day. Honoring your father and mother. Bearing false witness. It might be with regards to tithing. It might be with regards to service. You see, Paul was right when he said to Timothy... The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap onto themselves teachers, having itching ears who will tell them what they want to hear. And friends, that's the day that we're living in truths that God's people held dear for generations, not because they were traditions, not because they were the rules of the church, but because they were biblical Bible commandments principles, promises, whatever they were, they were held good, but now we're listening to the world. We're coming at it from a different angle. And the problem is, whenever you explain away one part of God's Word, it's not long before you're able to explain away all of God's Word. you Remember Jonathan Edwards, Not Jonathan Edwards that comes to this church, by the way, and not Jonathan Edwards who was the great theologian, but Jonathan Edwards was a triple jumper, an Olympian in the 1990s, and he honored God's word. He honored God's day. He honored God's law. And he he did so well, like Eric Liddell. And he broke the record for the triple jump. And then a couple of years later, whenever he was asked again to compete in the Lord's day, he came back and says, Well, you know, I've... I've prayed about this, and God has said, now it's okay. wasn't okay before, but I'm looking at it now from a different perspective, a different angle, like Balaam, I've gone away and I've prayed about this, and you, know, God says, now it's okay. And off he went. And then about 10 or 15 years after that, he came out and he renounced his faith completely. No longer believes in God, no longer believes the Bible. Friends, you see how it's so easy if you come to something that is biblical, not man's opinion, not man's tradition, but something that's black and white in Scripture, and you look at it from a different perspective, because that's the way the world wants you to look at it, and that's how you'll prosper and be promoted, how easy it is to explain away and end up in a place you never thought you would be. Lastly, and we're finished, time is gone, the consequences of the Christophany. Let me just read a few verses from the New Testament. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 15. It says, "Those who have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness." So Peter's making it very clear that Balaam forsook the right way. He went astray. He followed the wages of unrighteousness. Jude 11 speaks about those who have gone in the way of Cain, who rejected the blood, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and are perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Or Revelation chapter 2 And verse number 14, it speaks about those who hast taught, who hold, and who teach the doctrine of Balaam. So it speaks about the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and the doctrine of Balaam. But what happened to Balaam? Well, Numbers chapter 31 sheds light on the whole thing. Numbers 31, verse number 8 it speaks of Moses commanding the children of Israel to slay the kings of Midian. And it ends in verse number 8. Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. The children of Israel slew Balaam. Why? Why did they do it? Because it says in Numbers 31:16 that these, Balaam and the Midianites, caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam came down, and because he couldn't change the Word of God, he thought, well, if I can get the children of Israel to sin against God and to commit sexual immorality and give themselves to idolatry, maybe then God will change His Word, and I will be able to curse the children of Israel. So he consciously, counseled the Midianites to lure the Israelite children into sexual sin, immorality, and uncleanness in order again that he might get his wages that were promised by Balak. You see, there's a tremendous danger, the Bible says, not only in sinning yourself, but an even greater danger in leading others to sin and to saying to others, this is okay, this is right. And that's what Balaam did. He's telling the children of Israel, you know, you can go and mix with the Midianites, marry the Midianites, and sleep with the Midianites, and do whatever you want with the Midianites and worship their gods. And all the while, he knows if they do that, maybe God will curse them and the word of God will change. And so, the results, the consequences, of Balaam hardening his heart against the appearance of the Lord, first of all, deception. The counsel of Balaam. Numbers 31, verse number 16. He knowingly deceived others and probably deceived himself as well. Orthodox, eloquent, but an imposter. Then there was defilement. Verse 16, Numbers 31. He caused them to commit trespass. To break God's law. Put God's law to one side. It's no longer applicable for us now that I've looked at it from a different perspective. It's no longer relevant. And then there was disease. It says there was a plague among the people. Unhealth, sickness, disease, plague began to afflict the people of God. Now whenever the children of God sin against the Lord, it certainly doesn't promote to a healthy church. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. And then lastly, there was death. Numbers 31, 8, he was slain by Moses. Second Peter says he loved the wages of unrighteousness. But Romans six twenty-three says the wages of sin or the wages of unrighteousness is death. He got his wages. He got his reward. And it resulted in death. And Jude 11 speaks about Balaam. Jude 13 speaks about for him and those who follow in his ways is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's how we know that Balaam was lost. Balaam was a Matthew seven twenty one to 23 preacher. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works. And the Lord will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This has been a solemn, solemn word this morning. But maybe God is using this as a warning. Somebody perhaps on the brink of ruin. Knowing the Word of God, but on the brink of turning from it, twisting it, resting it, to suit and to meet your own ends. Friends, Jesus Christ promises to give life abundant to those who love Him and those who obey Him. God says, then, honor me, I will honor. You'll never lose out by honoring God. You mightn't prosper as far as the world would see it, or be promoted as far as the world sees it. But if you honor God and his word. God will prosper you and promote you for time and for eternity as far as your walk with him is concerned. Thank you so much for listening. May God write his word upon our hearts and may we receive it with the spirit that I trust it's been given in.